got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 103, Psalm, Psalm 103. It's day eight of awaking, 30 days of praying and fasting. Um, how's everybody doing? They feeling good? Feeling good? I hope everybody's feeling good. Um, man, I, I, uh, I just, mean, I, I feel so just ready to preach this morning. I feel like God has just been ministering to me all week. I'll tell you a story. Um, so Monday, I, I wake up and I, I get that 30-day of uh, prayer journal out. I do my day, and then I started praying for the people on, on my list, and one of those people was my neighbor. And um, I, I asked that morning, I said, God, would you provide an opportunity uh, for me to be able to love my neighbor like Jesus? And so 5.15 comes, I got my eyes through the blinds, waiting on the sun to go down so I can give me some grub. And uh, about that time, I get a phone call, and uh, it's actually my neighbor calling me. And so I'm like, why is my neighbor calling me? So I, I literally pick up the phone, and he's like, hey, man, my wife, I think she just broke her ankle playing basketball with our kid. Um, I think, or not think, he said, I want to take her to the emergency room and be able to give her a peace of mind. And I uh, said, would you come over and watch, watch our kids? And I'm going to let you know, um, God has got to really be moving uh, if you invite me over to watch your children. And so I'm sitting there, and, and it was just a cool moment. I'm sitting there, and I'm playing Skippo, one of the best card games ever. Shout out to the people who play Skippo. But I'm sitting there playing this game with these uh, three kids, and one of them is literally just trying to get me to pet his pet snake. And, um, and I'm like, Lord, what have you, you, what have you brought me into? And, uh, but I'm sitting there, and I'm playing cards with them. And I was just like, just so amazed. I'm like, isn't it amazing that when we start to pray about things that matter to the heart of God, how he opens the door? And uh, it was just amazing. You know, this morning I was preaching at, um, at our church plant in Mount Juliet, and there was a guy that I've been praying and fasting for all week. He's never came to our church, and um, he, here he comes rolling into the church, and I'm like, man, God, he's amazing. He's amazing. And uh, so I hope just two things uh, for those of us that are participating in Awaken. One, I hope and pray that God is just taking you into greater intimacy already. I hope that you are experiencing greater intimacy with Jesus already. Second thing I hope is that your heart is just beginning to be awakened. Awakened to the kingdom dream that God wants to see all of his kids come home. And so my hope is that your heart is beginning to become awakened as you're praying for your neighbors and your friends and your family. And uh, yeah, so man, I'm pumped. Um, I'm excited about all that God's gonna do. And I just, I just encourage you, keep pressing in, keep pressing in. Let's finish strong. And let's go throughout this month for the glory of the Lord. Today, we continue our, our series, Awaken, all right, Awaken. And so today, the sermon title, if you'd like to take notes, is Awaken Us to Worship, Awaken Us to Worship. And so here's just the outline of our time together this morning. We're going to talk about the power of worship, and we're going to talk about the posture of worship. So the posture of worship and the power of worship. You know, when we first start to think about worship, I'm going to just be fair. What typically comes to mind when we start having a conversation about worship is really dependent upon the Christian tribe, the Christian community, or the Christian churches that you went to or experienced growing up. And two, typically two of those kind of fall into these categories. One, you grew up maybe going to what would 
some consider as a charismatic church. Worship is external, so clapping of the hands, lifting of the hands, um, kneeling in worship. And so a, a lot of external, a lot of outward emotions. For some of you in this room, you grew up in a very conservative church setting. So maybe hands in the pockets, hands to your side. Um, worship isn't that you weren't expressing emotion, but nothing externally, typically. And, and so that's typically the, the space that you find yourself in in a gathering like this. And I just want to be abundantly clear this morning, whether you come in and, and you are a, a hand raiser or you're someone who keeps your hands in your pockets, I just want you to hear my heart this morning. I mean, God loves you and he's for you. And if you bring your heart to worship, then your worship is pleasing to God. Uh, I don't want to communicate in any way, in any form this morning, that worship looks a certain way or takes a certain style or anything like that, okay? My goal this morning isn't to convince you that the person with their hands in their pocket is less spiritual than the person that has their hand raised. Does it make sense? Everybody with me? All right, so whether you like to worship and you look like you're still in the TV while you do it, or, you know, I call it the Lion King worship, the hot of my day, you know, it's like you're a hand raiser, you know, no matter where you fall there. I want you to know God loves you, he's for you, and if you bring your heart, your worship is pleasing to him. But this morning, I wanted to do something, um, I think just, it's just really cool. And you know, what I love about God uh, is that he's always teaching me. You know, you don't go and get a degree in theology and then you leave there and you know everything. What I love about the word of God is just how deep and how rich it is. I'm preaching something, and I'm just being straight up with you guys. I'm preaching something that I had no clue about on Monday. But I'm so excited because it's, it's just radically changed me. And so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to introduce you to a few Hebrew words, okay? Now, I'm going to be, I just want to, I ain't no Hebrew scholar. If you're a Hebrew scholar, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mispronounce these words. I already know it. But I'm gonna, I just encourage you, um, you know, this is kind of my way of looking at the Bible. If you ever come to a word that you don't know how to say it, I always tell people, just remix, or like remix it with your T-Pain voice. You know, just holler out, remix, and, and just give your best version. And so I, I, I will give my best version, but more than likely, if you're a Hebrew scholar, come gently take me under your wing, and you can teach me all of the ways of Hebrew. But this morning, let's jump into this idea of posture of worship and power of worship. So this morning, as we talk about the posture of worship, the first Hebrew word that I want to introduce you to this morning is a word, barak. It's B-A-R-A-K. And we best see this in Psalm 103. Now, let me tell you what barak means. Barak means to kneel, to bless, to praise, or to salute. To kneel, to bless, to praise, or salute. And we best see this In the Psalm 103, start reading in verse 19. Should have it up on the screen so you can read along. But it says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Now, right here in verse 20, what you're going to see is that a lot of the Hebrew words in the Hebrew language that describe the way that they would worship in the English word, they just go praise, which... Listen, I'm not up here to, to, to go deep in theology, but I'm telling you, I felt cheated all week when I was learning about these Hebrew words. Because what for them in the Hebrew, it just, you just can't sum it up in praise. And right here, David is saying, Barak before the Lord, you his angels. He's saying, kneel, 
praise, give glory, give honor. He's saying, Barak before the Lord. You his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. And then verse 21, he says, praise the Lord. He's saying, Barak the Lord. He's saying, kneel, bless, pray, salute. All his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Then he says one more time, he says, Barak the Lord, to kneel, to bless, to praise, to salute. All his, or he says, all his works everywhere in his dominion. And then one more time, he says, Barak before the Lord. He says, kneel, bless, praise, salute. Oh, the Lord, my soul. And I want you to just think about this idea that, that the posture of worship is for you and I to Barak before the Lord. It's for you and I to come with a posture that says, I'm here, you are mighty, you are good. And the word we just read about is, you are king. Look back to the text in verse 19. It says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. And then say it with me, and his what? And his kingdom rules. Well, if there's a kingdom, church, guess what that means? There's a king. And if there's a king, we need to figure out who it is because David says he's the almighty, that he deserves to be barocked. Well, who's the king? Well, Jesus. Jesus is king. You know, earlier this week when I was thinking about this idea of barocking before the Lord, I, I, this picture of king, just, just, it, it just couldn't escape me because of this text. If you've ever seen a movie or a television show, and it's about kingdoms. This is something, every time I say it, it's giving me chill bumps. What happens when the king walks into the room? Everyone kneels. Everyone takes a place of a posture that says, you call the shots, you're the one that's mighty, you're the one that deserves the praise. It's a posture of reverence. You know, we sing songs like, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. That was like so out of tune. Some of you got unsaved, but you get my point. <laughs> we sing songs like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. That was a little better. And, and some of you just got resaved because it's so good. But, but we sing songs inviting God in, and I would encourage you to say that God's already here. We just got a Barack before the Lord. That we've got to come with a posture where we're ready to kneel before him to say, not my will, but your will be done. You know, the last eight days, we've been, if I could summarize it in just one sentence, I would probably borrow or steal just from the teachings of Jesus for a moment. You know, Jesus says that we need to pray this prayer. Let it be done on earth as it is, come on, in. Come on, let it be done on earth as it is in. You know, for the last eight days, you and me, we've been praying. In other words, we've been going, God, let it be done in our marriage as it is in heaven. Let it be done in our relationships as it is in heaven. Let it be done in our workplace as it is in heaven. Let it be done, fill in the blank, as it is in heaven. We've been praying this. And as I've been thinking about just this idea of heaven, I started going, oh, wow, is there a space in the Bible that we can go to that shows the posture of the worshiper in heaven? Because if God can show me what the posture of the worshiper in heaven, and Jesus teaches me that I need to pray, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven, then maybe there's a good chance that the posture of my worship needs to radically shift. Look to uh, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. 
There's this moment, just to give you some context, one of John, or one of Jesus' apostles, his name's John. He gets this, this uh, picture, this, this vision from heaven. And, and in John, uh, Revelation chapter four, John begins to write about the throne room of God. He literally gives you and me, in our human existence, this amazing, beautiful glimpse of heaven. Look with me in Revelation chapter four. We're gonna start reading in verse, in verse eight. It says, each of the four living creatures, they had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Now, I wanna be fair, uh, this does sound like something out of a Harry Potter book. Um, it sounds like, uh, you know, it's like, I grew up watching Discovery Channel, I had never seen that, you know? Um, but, but here's the truth. Heaven is gonna blow our minds. There isn't anything on the planet that compares to the glory of what heaven's gonna be. I would argue that the Bible teaches that creation is broken because of the fall of man. You imagine the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen in the glorious place, Panama City Beach. Come on, it's where all the real ones go. Some of y'all are like, ah, we, we went down to, oh, Mexico. I'm like, that's cool. I'm like, I mean, you can find me in PCB, you know, like, because that's where you go if you're a real one. So, imagine the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen. There's a part of me that God might say, that's beautiful, but it's broken. God says, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to redeem it. This is the one we're talking about this morning that deserves all our worship. And he gives us this beautiful picture. He says, this creature, it sits around the throne room of God. And look what happens. He says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. Look at the postural worship that takes place in verse 10. The 24 elders, they fall down, they barack before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things by your will they were created and have their being. This is amazing, this is good stuff. But I want you to think about that moment where they're barocking before the Lord and the Bible says that they cast their crown. And guess whose feet they're casting, they're, they're casting their crown to? Come on, Jesus. Guys, what is the significance of a crown? The significance of a crown is that it represents a kingdom. And listen to me, church, this morning, the posture of the worshiper in heaven is to lay down their kingdom and say, not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. And I just wonder for some of us in this room, this is just a moment for us to look inward and go, am I living a life where I'm literally laying my crown down and saying, not my kingdom, but your kingdom? where we're living with a posture so that when other people in our lives look at our life and the way that we live and the way that we move and who we are as human beings in this human existence as we journey towards heaven, I wonder if they would look and go, hey, that's somebody who's more interested in building the kingdom of Christ than the kingdom of self. 
And I'm going, this morning, are we laying our crown down at the feet of Jesus? You know, I'd be interested, you know, if, if, if just imagine just for a moment that you and Jesus were to have a conversation today, that you would see him in the flesh. I, I want you to imagine maybe you have this conversation in a coffee shop, on your couch at home, across the dinner table, or maybe he's riding shotgun on your way home today. But I want you to imagine this moment as a moment where Jesus is loving you and he is leading you. I'll say that again, where Jesus is loving you and leading you. We got too many leaders that are just trying to love and they ain't trying to lead. Jesus is loving you and leading you. And I want you to imagine having a conversation with him that's built upon him opening up a calendar and going, hey, let me show you the last time on a calendar that you were living your life with the posture of laying your crown down and saying, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. I think it's a moment for us just once again to look inward, to go, would that be the posture of my life this morning as I came in? How far back in the calendar would Jesus have to go before he could say, hey, that was the last moment where you were truly living all in for the kingdom of God? That was the last moment where you went throughout your day and your crown wasn't on your head because you had laid it at my feet that morning. You see, this invitation is bigger than us just gathering a lot of things, working in nine to five and graduating from Panama City Beach to an all-paid vacation. God is inviting us to worship him, to give him glory to Barak before him. You know, I've been sitting on this idea all week that God wants to use your story and my story for his glory. You know, the, the truth is, my story's messy. My story's, it's not clean. It's not cookie cutter. I don't like to put filters on my life. Um, but I'm also learning in the same breath that the, the very reason that I'm unqualified is what makes me qualified. The fact that, that I have some things in my life that I'm, needed to work through the same way that you do, that, that God's saying, hey, your weakness is a canvas for my strength. And God wants to use your story and my story for his glory. But I think the starting place for us this morning, if we're gonna leave here going, I want my story to be used for his glory, is for us to come with a heart that's saying, I want a Barak before the Lord. I wanna lay down my crown because I want your kingdom to come and not my kingdom for us to get off the throne room of our heart and to invite the one to sit on it who was created to sit there in the first place. Talk about the posture of worship. I want to introduce you to two more Hebrew words. Um, two more Hebrew words as we begin a conversation with the power of worship. So <clears throat> these are a little more fun to say. And um, once again, you know, uh, don't quote me on this. Uh, but this is to my best ability to pronounce these. But the first one I want to introduce you to is Tudau. It's T-O-T-O-W-D-A-H. And I'm going to be honest. This is the part of my week where I was absolutely wrecked. You see, Tudau worship, and we're going to find ourselves in Joshua 6 in a moment. If you want to go ahead and flip there, we'll also have it up on the screen. But Tudau worship, it literally is this. It is, it is an ancient form and we still do it today, but it is literally worshiping God and thanking him for something he has done, and get this, he hasn't done it yet. It is thanking him 
for what he's going to do in the future, even though he hasn't done it yet. So to doubt worship is to say, God, I know you're going to come through, even though I haven't seen you come through yet. To doubt worship is saying, God, I know that you're going to bring such and such home because you're a God that chases the human heart, even though they're not in church this morning. It's to doubt. It's just saying, God, you're going to do it, and I'm going to have the faith to worship you to do it, even though you haven't done it already. And then there's this other Hebrew word that we're introduced to. It's, it's a word called Shabbat. And it literally means to shout unto God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I got to preach one time at a church, and, and they love to shout unto the Lord. Like, I'm preaching. They're shouting me down like, come on, preacher. Come on, preach it. I'm up here like, I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, like, but shout unto the Lord. The Jews called this, listen, the Jews called it, a holy roar to Shabbat before the Lord. And here's, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to find a story where those two things are colliding. So turn with me to Joshua 6. We're not going to be there long, I promise. You know, when a preacher says he's not going to preach long, usually that means he's going to preach long, I promise. We're, I'm literally landing the plane here soon. But when we get to Joshua 6, we see the Israelites, they're on a journey to the promised lands, God's chosen people. And in order to get through the promised lands, they had to go through a city called Jericho. Now, I need you to know who lived in the city of Jericho. It was a group of people called the Canaanites. Now, I'm not trying to be extreme, but I'm just telling you, I'm just trying to give you some language um, uh, so that you can kind of wrap your mind around how crooked and evil these people were. At the top of their to-do list was to wipe the Israelites from the face of the earth, to, to literally kill the Jews, to get them gone. I mean, like, literally, they could be in the same breath as Hitler. This is how evil these people were. And here's what you need to know. They stood within the promise of what God had promised his kids. And I go, man, doesn't that sound kind of like the Christian journey? God will promise you something, but the evil one will try to stand in the way. And here's what you need to know about the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was surrounded by a wall that was said to be so impenetrable, as in, the greatest military minds on the planet could not figure out how to get through it. And this is the moment where we find ourselves. Joshua, the leader of this, of this nation at the time, also the, the leader of the military, look at this conversation that he has in Joshua chapter 6. Start reading in verse 1. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because the Israelites, no one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings and his fighting men. He said, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in the what? Say it with me. In the front of the ark. It's very important. Don't miss it. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests, blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Listen, I'm telling you, Netflix is pretty solid, but I'm going to tell you what, man. People say the Bible is boring. I'm like, you hadn't read it lately. You hadn't read it lately because there's some fire episodes in here. When we find ourselves in Joshua 6, there's this moment where the Lord says, hey, I got a strategy and it's better than any, any military strategy that you can come up with. Here's a sermon inside of a, like a mini sermon inside of a bigger sermon. Let's start becoming people who don't move until we get a divine strategy. 
Too long we've moved and asked God to bless after we've moved. How about we go to the God who, 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 once he's given us the divine strategy, as we're moving, we don't have to wonder, is there a blessing in it? Joshua says, he's talking to God, and God says, hey, I got you a divine strategy. Now, I don't want us to miss this, because this is real life, real people, real humans. This isn't Marvel, a comic book. He's sitting in with a group. Now, imagine, they're like, Joshua, you're a leader. You were discipled under Moses. We'll follow you anywhere. How are we going to win this battle? Now, imagine, imagine him looking to that room of men and saying, Here, here's what we're going to do. For six days, we're going to two Dow around that city. While we're walking, we're going to thank God for the victory, even though we haven't seen the victory yet. He says, okay, so we're going to do that for six days. And he says, on the seventh day, we're going to two Dow again. But after we make that first full circle, he says, we're going to Shabbat. He says, we're going to give a holy roar, and that shout of praise is going to make the walls fall down. I go, man, that's amazing. I don't want us to miss this. What was it that was leading the way as they journeyed around? You had priests, you had trumpets, and they were standing in front of the ark, and guess what they were doing? They were worshiping. They were leading the people in worship. I don't want us, like, just hear my heart. I'm, like, pleading with us this morning. God wants to use your story for his glory. All your imperfections, all the times you can't cover it with a filter, like he don't want you to Photoshop your life. Like he, he wants to use your story for his glory. Here's, I don't want us to miss this. You know, these are regular people, okay? God can tell them to do something, but they have free will. They could have easily, if they wanted to, said, God, that don't make sense. I, I might have been one of them. I'm like, God, I'm walking around, and I might get shot with an arrow. Like, it don't, it don't make sense. And sometimes God will call you to do something that doesn't make sense, and people will think you're crazy. But as they're going, they're too down before the Lord. And then on that seventh day, they shabak, and the walls fall down. This is an amazing moment. And here's where, I, like, if you like to tweet or if you like to take notes, like, write this down and let it sit in your heart. That worship, that worship can change the course of history. Like the way that we worship in this room, it can literally shape the future of this church. And if God wants to use your story and my story for his glory, here's something that we need to know, is that the way that we worship will determine how our life story is written. Will we two dial before the Lord? Will we shabak? Will we barak? Will we lay down our crown at the feet of Jesus and say, not my kingdom, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. <clears throat> you know, this morning I want to end a little bit differently than a typical Sunday here. And I just want to say this to preface this. God is writing a story at Well House. And this isn't just another church gathering. This isn't just another touch point for us to connect with Jesus. It's more than that. Like, God is inviting Well House to be a part of his story 
for his glory. And, and every single person in this room, I want you to hear this. Like God is inviting you into that. God is inviting you into that. If I can get the worship team to go ahead and come back up. But God is, in, God is inviting you into that. And, and what I want to do just for the next few moments is I want to begin to declare in this house some like two-down worship. For us to begin to declare what God's going to do, even though he, we haven't seen him do it yet. So here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> this is typically where, as a pastor, you want to be like, um, you almost feel like you got to be passive because you're kind of pushing people into something that, that maybe feel uncomfortable. But what I'm learning is the very things that we're uncomfortable with is the moments that God gets the most glory. And so here's what I want to do. The first two rows, I want you, as everyone stands up, I want you to kick your, your, your chairs up and I want, there's going to be two racks on the side. I want you to lay your chair there. And then everyone else, we're going to come down together and we're going to sing a song together. It's called, This Is How I Fight My Battles. Now, we're going to do that and it's going to be amazing and God's going to get the glory. And I just want to say this. This is not a show. This is not a show. We are human beings who are imperfect, who serve and worship a perfect God. And so I'm going to hop down here as we're moving and as we come together to worship together on this last song, I'm going to kind of walk us through what, what this is going to be for us as a church community. So let's go ahead and move those chairs over and then gather everyone closer to the stage. start making your way in, making your way in. So far, it smells like everybody's got their deodorant on. We're good. Come on. Everybody move in. Move in. Hey, this is going to be a powerful moment in the kingdom of God at Well House. This isn't, this isn't going to be just another cool thing that someone took a picture and put it on Instagram. This is going to be one of the dopest, one of the coolest, one of the most awesome, like all you other millennial language moments where God's going to move. But here's, the, here's what we're going to do. For the next few moments, we're going to sing, This Is How I Fight My Battles. And, and, and that what we declare when we sing that song is that worship is how we fight. That worship is how, how we move, how we shift the atmosphere of our hearts. How we shift the atmosphere of our circumstances. Is everybody with me on that? And so for the next few moments in this house, we're going we're gonna to shoot down worship. Maybe some of you this morning, you come in and you're in the hardest season you've ever experienced in your marriage. And what you're going to do in this next song is you're going to declare, even though you don't feel it, even though the bed right now hasn't been a place of sexual at all, you're watching TV in two different rooms. Come on, this is church, this is real life. And you're going to declare that this year is going to be the best year of your marriage, even though right now we don't feel like it. Some of you in this room, you look at the bank account and you have no idea how you're going to pay the bill. Declare to that worship. God, you're going to do it even though I haven't seen it yet. Some of you, you're wrestling with addiction and you're going to, you're going to declare in this next moment while worshiping together. You're going to declare, I might not be the free version of myself right now, but one day I will be because I'm going to starve the very thing that's trying to suck the life of me. We're going to toot our worship. We're going to toot our worship. And we're going to declare together as a church that the best is yet to come. What does that mean? 
we don't know. But we come with an expectation to say, God, whatever it is, we're ready for it. Who's ready for a move of God? Come on. Who's ready for a move of God? Who's tired of playing church? Who's exhausted by showing up and not feeling like, come on, I'm so tired of feeling dry spiritually. I'm going, God, pour it out. Pour it out. If you are who you say you are, pour it out. I want to introduce you to one more word in Hebrew. It's called a word. The word is yada. It sounds like a magic trick, don't it? Yada. And literally what it means is a hand, it's the shooting of the hands. It's a shooting of the hands. And, and here's what I want us to do. Even if you've never lifted your hands, I'm about to be a dad and I'm telling you, I cannot wait for the moment that my son Lennon says, Daddy, pick me up. Because that's the moment where he's declaring, I need my dad. You see, lifting of the hands, I grew up in a tribe that said, man, lifting of the hands, they do it because they want to be seen. Man, that's the farthest lie I've ever been told. Lifting of the hands is declaring, God, I can't make it through this season without you. Lifting of the hands is saying, God, I'm so weak, I need you to pick me up and hold me close to your chest. That's what we're going to do. And so I'm just going to pray over us, and then we're going to spend a time of worship. There's going to be people. I'll be in the back. Not on the far back. I'm going to be up here. But if you need some prayer, come get some prayer. Come get some prayer. Don't let the enemy steal another day. There's a Super Bowl party going on later all across the world. You know what? At the end of the day, there's a party going on right now, and it's a Luke 15 party. And ain't no party like a God party. And we're about to worship. We're about to worship. So let, let me just pray over us. I just, everybody yawed out right now to the Lord. Just lift your hands to God right now. God, we need you to pick us up. We just need you to pick us up. We're declaring in this house that this is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. It's with worship. And so God, whatever it is in our hearts this morning that we're working through, that we're going through, God, I pray that we would just humbly brought before you and just lay it at your feet. There's never been a human in all of the history. It just hit me. There's never been a human in all of history that has ever asked for God's help and he's never helped them. God, you're amazing. Father, I pray, Lord, that, that you would bring a freedom of worship that we, every person in this room, has never experienced. God, bring freedom in a way that only you can. God, you're amazing. Father, would you pour out your spirit for all of those who feel spiritually dry or spiritually dehydrated. Lord, would you pour out your spirit? God, your word, your word says that those that ask for the Holy Spirit, you will give it to us. And so, Lord, we pray, would you pour out your spirit? In Jesus' name, we worship and we give thanks. And the church said, amen. Let's worship.